You better grab that bright orange jacket fast because if you don't, Mike McMillan will take it and he will, he'll wear it with his bright orange pants. And then that'll just really be offensive to all of us and you know, we don't want that to happen. By the way, if any of you came here um, and you parked downstairs, we do have free tokens in the back. There's also free token for 375 Longwood, which is a much easier parking lot to uh, park in. Uh, also wanted to say that anyone else who wants to get baptized, please uh, let me know if you'd like to be baptized. Uh, we'll baptize as long as you can stand getting in the water. I mean, if you want to like poke a hole in the Charles River in, uh, in December, I'll go, you know, you're being baptized, I'll go in. Uh, I have to wear about five wetsuits, but, but uh, yeah, we'll fish too alongside of it, just like, uh, just like Jesus in John 21. But uh, seriously though, baptism, we've had a couple baptisms uh, over the last couple weeks. Uh, it's an important, uh, th uh, just, it it's an important path because we're following Jesus uh, when we get baptized. So if you'd like to be baptized, please let me know. So with that, let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. If anyone needs a Bible, please raise their hand nice and high. So Jose, the guy in the real weird-looking shirt, um, will uh, hand you a Bible. Oops. That's a penalty. wear that with a bright orange jacket but okay going from uh, that to a rather serious subject in the Word of God Matthew 7 verse 1 if you could just rise for the reading of God's Word here this is Jesus speaking he says judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not, do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you just for the, just the penetrating nature of your word, Lord God. It just goes right into our hearts, Lord God, and it does the cleansing work there. I just pray that uh, we'd be open and, and available to allow that to happen, Lord. And Father, we, uh, again, we just thank you that... Um, your word is so black and white, living in a gray world, Lord, where we just live day in and day out in a world that operates in the gray, Lord. We, we so need this. We so need the, just the, your clear truth. And I just pray, Lord, that we'd all, Lord God, have open hearts, that you'd open up our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our ears to what your Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. Let your word do its work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please greet one another. Okay. 
Matthew chapter 7. We're continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount. We began about four months ago. It seems like even longer than that, but uh, it's important, particularly since we've been in this study for four months, that we don't lose the context. I want, I, you know, I want to uh, just remember together uh, who Jesus is speaking to here. So I just want to go back. There's a couple chapters to the very beginning of uh, of the sermon, Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five, six, and seven, and then go back just a few verses. Uh, into Matthew uh, 23, and we'll read 23 through 25, and, and this, is, uh, this is who Jesus is speaking to throughout this sermon, this, his most famous sermon. It says in verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So that is who the audience is for the Sermon on the Mount, and I don't want to lose sight of that. Jesus was speaking to a multitude of people who were broken and they were afflicted and uh, they were coming out of all kinds of hardship, affliction, and disease. And, and, and so what does uh, Jesus say to them? He says in verse 1, chapter 5, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was uh, seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth, uh, taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in then in verse 4, it says, blessed are those who mourn. So what does blessed, uh, what does poor in spirit mean? To, uh, to be poor in spirit uh, means that you have come to the place in your life where there's nothing of you to inhibit God from working through you. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Our problem is that we always... Uh, we're always getting in the way of what God wants to do through us. And being poor in spirit means getting out of the way to the place where God can work uh, in our life. Now, if you remember that first uh, teaching I gave four months ago uh, on this, what is, you know, the gospel, the word gospel means good news. Now, how is this good news to these people? How is this good news to these people? Well, uh, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. How is that good news? Well, because this multitude was poor in spirit. They were mourning. They had reached uh, an end of themselves. And they were mourning over the sin of broken lies, lives. And, and again, in chapter 4, verse uh, 24, again, it says they were afflicted by various diseases, torments, they were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics. And, and chapter uh, 4, verse 25 says they followed Jesus, and now he's telling them that they're blessed. So this is good news when you're poor in spirit. When you reach that place where you're so broken down uh, that you, you have poverty in your spirit, it's a very good place uh, to be. Now, these were the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus says, 
more than once that his ministry was to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, why were they lost? Well, one of the reasons this multitude of people uh, was so lost and broken and hopeless was because they were victims of a cruel and rigid religious system. A cruel and rigid, uh, rigid religious system which had sort of just chewed them up and spit them out and thought nothing of doing that to uh, the people. Uh, listen to Jesus rebuking the Pharisees and scribes who were the religious leaders in Matthew 23. He says, you tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but you yourselves are not willing to lift a finger to help them. They had tied such heavy loads on people that, that the men and the women, the people who, who they put the loads on, they, they just crushed under the weight of the loads that were put on them, something that is still so prevalent uh, in, the, in the church today. And, then, and these very people, these Pharisees, these scribes, these religious uh, leaders, they tried to infiltrate uh, the early church. And in Acts 15, Peter, the apostle Peter, uh, speaks to them saying, why do you test God and put a burden on the neck of the people which neither our fathers nor us were able to bear? So the people that Jesus is speaking to in Matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7 were a lost, a broken, a mourning people. Now, the odd thing uh, about these people who are listening to Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7, and, and this is so often the case in a relationship between the victim and the victimizer, uh, is that although they had been horribly wronged by this religious system, they nevertheless continued to hold them in very high esteem. Uh, I mean, these were the Pharisees. I mean, they, they represent God, don't they? I mean, they, they spend all their day uh, studying the Word and, and, te and teaching the Word and, and showing us a, a, of, about how much they know and they, and they seem to be falling and everyone says they're holy, they must be holy. Well, Jesus, in a real shocker, and I know I've been repeating this every uh, week for the last four months, but it, it's the verse on which the entire sermon hinges in verse 20 of chapter 5, uh, says this, I say to you, he's talking to this multitude of broken people, that unless your righteousness exceeds the, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you know those people who you think are super-duper holy men, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you will by no means go to heaven. Uh, and then he goes on to describe that righteousness. And that's what he does for the rest of the sermon. Uh, if you have this kind of righteous, if you are this kind of righteous, uh, your, your heart is free from anger. Uh, uh, verse uh, 21, uh, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever has anger with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. If you are this kind of ri uh, righteous, your heart is free of lust. Because lusting after another person in your heart is equivalent to adultery. If you are this kind of righteous, 
verse 44, you will love your enemies, bless those who curse you, you will do good to those who hate you, you will pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And then he goes on in chapter 6, if you are this kind of righteous, when you do good to others, when you pray, uh, when you fast, you do so in secret, but not to be seen by men. And if you are this kind of righteous, uh, it goes on in chapter 6, you will lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. If you are this kind of uh, righteous, verse 25, chapter 6, uh, you will not worry because worrying is evidence that there's an idol in your life that you're valuing more than God himself. And the Pharisees are falling short of all these things. And Jesus is sort of just knocking each one of them off, each, you know, listing them off. And, 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 and he goes on into chapter 7. And in chapter 7, what we see, perhaps th the sin which more than any other characterized the life of the Pharisee. In chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not do not judge judge not now the very meaning of the word pharisee was tied into the judgment of others it's a it's a word that is sort of difficult to translate but the greek and the hebrew uh, translation for this word uh, means separated one or separatist not to be confused with the word holy which means separated by god no these men separated themselves and here's the major distinction between this and the word holy. Not only did they separate themselves as opposed to God separating them, but they despised the people they were separated from. Now, now you say, well, that sounds like it may be a Steve exaggerating. Well, uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 9, when Jesus was um, at a feast, uh, a feast filled with these same lost, broken, and afflicted people, uh, the, uh, the Pharisees approached his disciples and say, why does this man hang out with sinners? In other words, if this guy is so holy, why does he hang out with such dregs, such dirty, such unclean, such wicked people? That, that really showed their heart towards the people. They despised them. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus was at the house of a Pharisee when a prostitute entered, uh, fell at his feet, weeping, in other words, repenting. This is a good thing. And anointed him with perfume. And the Pharisee, um, it says, it says, he said to himself in Luke 7, uh, 39, if this man were a prophet, how could he let this woman touch him? The Pharisees despised the very multitude that Jesus was reaching out to, and they, they sat in judgment of them. And so Jesus comes in in chapter 7, verse 1, and says, Judge not. That's King James for do not judge. Judge not. Now, this subject, this general subject of of judging, or we might use the word grumbling, or murmuring, or slandering. The Bible also uses the word speaking evil of, is a huge issue in the Bible. It is a non-stop theme from the beginning of the Bible to the end. The word judged is used 600 times. Now, 
sometimes in, in a positive context, uh, but 177 times in the New Testament. And, and never mind the number of times uh, words like criticize, murmur, grumble, gossip, and slander appear, um, all of which are forms of judging someone. Uh, this, this continually throughout the Bible, Romans 2, verse 1, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge for in whatever you judge, you condemn yourself. Romans 14.4, who are you to judge another man's servant? James 4.11, do not speak evil of another, brethren. Who are you to judge one another? And, you know, I could go on and on and on with this one. This is a huge issue. Uh, but suffice it to say that Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus says, judge not. The, the, the verb form there is in the imperative, meaning uh, he's not saying, you know, you really shouldn't judge people. You know, it's, it's just not nice. It's just not a nice thing to judge people. And I should probably tell you it's just not really a good idea. No, this is a command. Judge not. Do not judge. So what's all the fuss about? What is all the fuss about? To judge someone goes against anything and everything that Jesus taught in his ministry. Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, so love one another. In Matthew 22, 34, an expert in the law approached Jesus and asked him, you guys are familiar with this, uh, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Je what did Jesus say? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Judging is the antonym. It is the polar opposite. It's the enemy of love. Listen carefully. When you judge someone, you're doing the same thing the Pharisees did. In your heart, you are despising the person you judge. If you really dissect your heart, if you dissect it, when you are harboring judgment against someone in your heart, there's hatred there. Now let's pause for a moment and talk about just what it is that Jesus is referring to when he says, judge not, do not judge. What's he talking about? Does he mean that if I see a friend cheating or lying or stealing or getting high, getting drunk, whatever, that I can't sort of recognize the behavior is wrong and then in love, talk to the person about it and call him or her on it? Does it, Jesus mean that when I'm out on the highways and the byways, I see something evil, you know, I don't know, like a, an evil bumper sticker. There's plenty of those going around, you know, or someone running someone off the highway, uh, you know, when they get cut off. Does it mean that in my heart I can't say, you know, that's wrong? Does Jesus mean that if I'm a pastor and there's someone trying to introduce some kind of heresy or false teaching into the church, that I can't bring it to light and expose it and call it for what it is? No. 
In fact, in other places, Jesus tells us uh, that we must do those very things. So what does Jesus talk about? Well, the Greek word for judge there in verse 1 is the word krino. It means the act of sitting in the judgment seat. It's like a judge in a courtroom. It means sitting in a position of authority and judging. The problem with judging another man or woman is that the Bible says there's one judge. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, All judgment has been given to me. There's one judge. And I hate to ruin your day, but there's none left over for you or me. Another reason judging is such a huge issue from the beginning of Scripture to the end is that just like Eve did and Adam in the garden, garden, when you are judging someone, you are usurping, you're taking over a role that is God's alone. The word hypocrite there in verse 5, as it is used here, really brings this whole concept out. It says hypocrite. First, remove the plank, meaning the, like the bi- real, real, real big piece of wood. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Well, the word hypocrite there is the very same root word, or the word there is the very same root word as the word judge in verse 1. It's one of the things that we lose in the translation. The Greek word for judge uh, in uh, verse 1, again, is krino. The Greek word for hypocrite uh, in verse f- 5 is the word hupa, which means over, krita, which means judge or to judge. And, and hupa, me, uh, again, if you're still with me here, uh, that means that a, a hypocrite here in this context means when you judge someone, you go over or you take over the position of judge and you're making a judgment about something you have no business making. Hupa kritas is, is what that means. Listen carefully. When you judge someone in your heart, you're taking over the role of judge and you are condemning them. In fact, in some translations in chapter 7, verse 1, instead of judge, they use the word condemn. And in the parallel passage in Luke, they do use the word judge, I mean condemn, in, a, in addition to uh, judge. So when you judge another person. What, is it, what are you doing when you're condemning uh, another person? What you're doing is you're exalting, in your own heart, you're exalting yourself. You're raising your own banner, your own flag, and you're lowering the other person in your own heart. That's what you're doing. And the Bible says we never, ever have a right to take that position over a person, and that's God's alone. Now, I don't want to leave verse 5 just yet because it really is an interesting verse. It's the only verse of its kind in the Sermon of the Mount, at least that I can really see, where Jesus is sort of rebuking this multitude. Now, most of the time in the Bible, uh, when Jesus is rebuking someone, he's rebuking a religious leader, a lawyer, or a Pharisee, or a, 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 a scribe. But here he's rebuking the entire multitude, hypocrites. Or hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. Quit judging people. Now, I know we usually don't like to think of ourselves as hypocrites. I can think of a few words I'd prefer to identify with in that one. But Jesus is making it very clear that every one of us 
is a hupakrita, so that, because what do we do? We take over the judgment seat of God and we judge the people who we come into contact with all day. And I heard one pastor say, you know, if you're t here and you're saying to yourself, oh, I don't have that problem. Well, you have another problem, and that's lying, you know, because everyone has this problem. And a critical, judgmental, uh, even despising heart is a disease that every single human being is inflicted with. And, and you know, some of us are so weak in this area. I mean, we, we, we come into contact with a person, and I mean, within five minutes, we have them all figured out. A one, two, three, four, five. This is everything that's uh, wrong with this person. We haven't even spent three minutes talking with them. Never mind the fact we know nothing about their background, nothing about what's going on. And we're, you, what we're doing is we're, we're putting ourselves in the position of God as if we knew everything uh, about the person. Now, I'm convinced that another reason why this is such a prominent subject in the Bible is that, tragically, it's so prevalent in the church. There's a reason for that. A person asks Christ into their life. The Bible says that when they do, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of them. And th at that point, the Bible says they begin to develop a supernatural ability to discern right from wrong in a way that they never have before. Good from evil, righteousness from unrighteousness, truth from error. So what happens? We get saved. We see all this stuff around us, uh, you know, and we're like, oh, man, this, this has got to change. I've got to do something about this. And, you know, we get up on a soapbox and, you know, we start off with, you know, with, with individuals. You know, if you're listening to TV, if you're li looking at movies, you know, you're, you're in big time sin. If you're, if you're smoking, you're in big time bondage. If you're drinking, you know, you're drinking the devil's water, you know, this type of thing. And, and never mind the fact that six months ago we were like deep into all of it. And, and, and but, but, you know, we're and, and never mind the fact that the Lord never dealt with us like that ever to bring us to him. Never with that same kind of spirit. And, and you know, we move from people to the church, you know, and we get up on, and you know, the church is so lukewarm and, you know, there's no zeal, no power, no fire, and the church is filled with hypocrites. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And guess what? You've become one of them because there's pride in your heart a log in your eye that's so big that you don't see, uh, you know, you're not even able to see the splinters uh, that, you're, that you're pointing out in everyone. Before we take the judgment seat of God, take over the judgment seat of God, or, or really, I, you know, a better way to say that is before we start evaluating and, and speaking truth into people's lives, we need to deal with the very large, enormous log that is clouding our judgment. And this is so prevalent in the church. People get enlightened by the Spirit of God, but then they bury the light by climbing up into the judgment seat of God and flailing away at everyone around them. Jesus says, judge not. And incidentally, when he's saying this, he's not only talking about you know, Christian criticizing Christian. He's talking um, about judging others, period. I mean, we don't have a license to be pointing fingers, you know, at the world, it, 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 you know, in a, in, in a manner that, you know, is un-Christ-like. When I was a, a younger Christian, I remember 
uh, going to, to Bible studies. And, um, uh, and, you know, there's always that time where it's a little awkward and you have to speak with the people around you, which you really should do, but you don't know what to say. And inevitably, people just started what I call cursing the darkness. You know, did you hear about the pornography sites they're allowing into the public library? Did you hear about the gay pride parade? Did you hear about the bill to legalize prostitution and marijuana? Did you hear about, you know, Gary Hart? You guys are too young for that. Did you hear about Bill Clinton? You know, whatever, you know, and, and uh, a buddy over there, he knows what I'm talking about. But, but you know, there is an appropriate time and place uh, for all those issues to be addressed. But I can tell you, it's not in that spirit, and it's not right before you go to the Lord. And, and yet, it, it, so often in church settings, uh, you know, people can't find anything better to talk about. That is not the kind of spirit you want to stir up before you go to be with the Lord. Why? Because when you're doing that, you're pushing God out, you're exalting yourself, and what you're doing, you're trashing or lowering the world. And, and although it, it, it makes us feel good about ourselves, the problem is we're doing exactly what Jesus is telling us to, not to do in Matthew uh, 7, verse 1. We're taking over the judgment uh, seat. You know, when I hear Christians get into this ugly, negative funk, you know, this, this sort of spirit, sometimes I have to say, well, what did you expect from the world? A gospel parade of 100,000 people, you know, with people singing Amazing Grace and passing out free Bibles or something? I mean, you know, here, I don't know anything about this stuff, but uh, it's got a bookmark in it with John 3.16, take one, you know. that No, the Bible says the world is spiritually dead under the sway of the evil one. And when we see pornography getting into the hands of our children under the guise of civil liberty, when we see homosexuality being held out to the world as something right rather than wrong, when we see uh, prostitution and drugs legalized, it should drive us to God. It should drive us to prayer. It should drive us to church. It should drive us under the streets to make disciples of all men. It should drive us to the voting booth so we can be the salt of the earth. But, you know, we're the salt of the earth, not the acid of the, worth, of the earth. You know, there's an appropriate time and place uh, to uh, be uh, confronting the world. And actually, that time is now, but, but, but getting in its face and, and throwing acid in their face is not it. When a judgmental spirit raises its ugly head you go to God. Look here, chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Judge not that you uh, not be judged, for with what judgment uh, you judge, you will be judged, and with what uh, the measure you use, it will be measured. And then it goes on and continues to talk about this judgmental spirit. And then in verse 7, most of you have a separation uh, between verse 6 and 7, not supposed to be there. What does it say? Ask, and it will be given to you. In other words, if you see something you don't like in another person or another church or in the world or whatever, ask, Jesus is saying, and it will be given to you. Go to the Lord and, and let the Holy Spirit 
have his ministry in the person's life and in the life of the church. When the world around us starts looking evil, starts looking filthy, starts looking gross and dark, that's not the time to start cursing at it. It's the time to go to God, to be with his people, to pray with his people, to be salt with his people. In John 13, Jesus says again, By this all men will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. If someone that comes into a church and they see people criticizing, judging, gossiping, they're going to turn right around and go out the door and say, Why do I need that? That's exactly what I get all day and night in the world. I don't have to come into a church to get that. You know, over the years, inside the body of Christ, I hear Christians judging one another. You know, the church is a hospital for the sick, and certainly we, we don't want, we've come into the church with these judgmental spirits, so it, it, you know, we work these things out. But, you know, you hear uh, people judging one another, oh, you know, that woman, She wears such skimpy clothes. You know, what's with those loud earrings she has? Doesn't she know 1 Timothy 2.9, women should dress modestly in decency with propriety? Or what's with that guy on Wednesday night? I mean, the pastor opens up the floor for questions and, and, and you know, he just blurts out his opinion and doesn't stop talking. Hasn't he read Proverbs 10.19, where there are many words, there sin is present? But he who restrains his lips is wise. Or Ecclesiastes 10:12, the words from a wise man's mouth are gracious, but a fool is consumed by his own lips. I mean, what's with this guy? That's not a hint, by the way. No one does that on Wednesday night, I promise. That was at another church. There's another verse about staying silent when you should speak up, so that goes for the rest of you. But, 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 but in any event, or you hear Christians talking about another church, you know, at that church the, church, the worship is so wild and out of control, and the pastor doesn't teach enough from the Word of God, and all they care about is money. And, you know, when I hear about these things, sometimes I, I will tell them, you know, you really shouldn't be talking about like that. You're judging them. The Bible says that we should be as one with, with should be as one, Jesus says in John 17 with other churches, not divisive. And I always hear the same thing. Well, what's wrong with exposing sin? The Apostle Paul did it. He even named names. Just look at 1 Corinthians. You know, even single people out. And when I get a response like that, I, I turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Why don't we all go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2? 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Just to the right, about what, five or six books or something like that. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 4. Now, he's talking about, in verse 4 here in chapter 2, 2 Corinthians, he's talking about the letter that he had written to them that people just love to bring up whenever they're judging someone. And this is what he says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you, with many tears. 
Not that you should be grieved, but that you, sh you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. And, you know, I, I will read that verse uh, to the person who I believe is, is being judgmental. And I, t I ask them, well, can you say that you have the same heart for this person you're criticizing or this, this church you're criticizing as Paul did for the Corinthians? Well, uh, no, no, I, I can't say that. Or else, you know, I'll hear someone say, well, what about Jesus and the Pharisees? You know, we called them a brood of vipers and, you know, children of the devil in John chapter 8. And, and, you know, that's another favorite one. Yes, he did. But in Luke 19, he wept over Jerusalem and the Pharisees. He wept over them. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweated blood because he had such a heart for them. He, he was arrested, whipped, stripped, mocked, and crucified because of the heart that he had for those Pharisees, us Pharisees. And so when I hear someone talk about Jesus and the Pharisees, I say, well, can you say that you have that heart thing? Well, uh, no, I sort of can't stand them. Judge not. If you want to know what God gets really serious about, here you have it. Judge not. You know, I think of Jessica's testimony last week. And by the way, I'm, I'm very thankful for, for, for Jessica, what God's done in her life, the Gino, and what he's doing what God's doing in his life, and please pray for them as they approach their uh, wedding day. Uh, but one of the things that I so appreciate about what, uh, what God has done in her life, and Jessica's far from perfect, uh, but she's not standing in judgment against the people who wronged her. I mean, you saw that when she talked about her mom. Obviously, she still loves her mom. She's not bitter towards the men who so terribly violated her, the drug dealers. She told me that she was homeless for months at a time in a car, and she, got, she would wake up in the mornings because the drug dealers would be knocking on her window in winter, by the way. But there's, there's, there's you know, God has supernaturally delivered her from, uh, from, from taking over the judgment seat over those people. And it's just the grace of God. But look, brothers and sisters, this is so critical because if you continue in your judgmental spirit towards the world, towards your parents, towards a brother or sister or friend who betrayed you, bitterness will seep into your heart and your heart will become heart. Now, I've got to tell you, I've counseled a number of women over the years who were so bitter towards men that they were unteachable. Not only unteachable in the subject of men, unteachable about anything. I mean, it's just so, it, it, it's so, their bitterness so hardened their heart. Now, you know, you hear the expression, all men are dirt pegs, you know. John Calvin couldn't have put it better. A man apart from Christ is a dirtbag, okay? That's theologically an accurate statement. But, but, you know, if you are going to insist 
when you come to the Lord of staying on the judgment seat over men, over women, because there's plenty of men who have the same problem with women, over um, the world, over your parents, over a coworker, whoever, your heart will harden. You may do, be doing all the things right, you know, coming to church and praying every day, reading the Bible, you going through the motions, but, uh, you know, you, you give out the appearance that all things are together. But let me tell you, over time, you'll be no different than the Pharisees, unteachable, unreachable. In Matthew uh, 23, Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, Woe you to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones. Let me conclude with this. There's so much hope in Christ. You know, he gives this list about what it's, what this righteousness is like that exceeds the... the uh, the Pharisees and and tells us that unless we meet that righteousness we don't enter the kingdom of heaven now none of these things are things you have to do to get to heaven these are things that happen when you are in Christ there'll be a natural manifestation of the life of Christ in you and the good news is that Christ can free you from a judgmental heart he can free you from the bitterness he can take it away. Second Peter chapter 1 says, When you are in Christ, you have everything you need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. You don't have to continue on saying, Oh, well, you don't realize what's been done to me. Or you don't realize what kind of parents I had. Or you don't you know, realize you know, the abuse that I took when I was uh, a child. Christ can free you from it. Everything you need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you have at the point of asking Christ into your life. For any of you who have not done that, ask Christ into your life, please settle that today. You can come up and talk with me after the service something that happens by faith. For the rest of us, I just hope this, this word this morning spoke to your heart. I, I, I know it does for me. If you think it's hard hearing it, you can't imagine what it's like preparing it. And then like throughout the day, judging people during your preparation breaks. I mean, this is like really a, a convicting thing. And, and, and so, but I hope this word spoke to your hearts. And now just let's, let's close in prayer so that we'd all go out and walk in it. Father, I just thank you for your son. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you say in your word, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. All you who labor under the burden of bitterness and a judgmental spirit and unforgiveness. And I will give 
you rest. Lord, we thank you that there is rest with you. I just pray, Father, and agree with everyone in here, every person, Lord God. We need that rest. We need to cling to that rest which is in you. Help us to do that, Lord. You say your yoke is easy and my burden is light. I just pray that you just give us a heart where we are able to, to know and discern when we're taking on the, the yoke of judgment of of bitterness, Lord. God, we want so desperately to be pallbearers of the truth, Lord, and righteousness in this world. You say, Lord Jesus, we're the light of the world, but we want to do it in love. Show us how to do that. It, we don't know how so often, Lord. Please bring us there, Lord. God, we just love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, God bless. If anyone needs prayer, please come up.